Hey, welcome back, Sanya. How are you doing? Welcome back from vacation. <gasps> Thank you. Oh, I'm doing great. <laughs> it's lovely to be here with you again, to see you, to catch up. Thank you for having me on the show. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I mean, you're a joy to have. And what you have to share is, I believe, really important. As we've talked about, you know, we've talked about empathy at scale. We've talked about redefining the future of work and making it less esoteric and actually attainable for companies. And I know we're going to touch on that today. But for those who don't know you, which I can't imagine who that might be, um, <laughs> please introduce yourself and a little bit about what we're going to be talking about today. Yeah, absolutely. So my name is Sonia Lucina. I'm an organizational psychologist, a huge, long time at this one friend of Al's and a, a big fan of all of his work. So it's a pleasure to be here. I, I am sitting in sunny Buenos Aires, Argentina, um, originally from Belgrade, Serbia, lived in the United States for a couple of decades, um, had a brief stint in London, and then life brought me here. And I mention all of that because I will partly, you'll look, you'll probably, for those of you who don't know me, you'll get to learn a lot about me as Al and I chat because I tend to bring in a lot of personal things, a lot of uh, professional things. They just, you know, trickle in depending on the topic. But the reason why I was mentioning my upbringing and my background is actually because of the data that we're going to talk about today. And I also told Al as we were prepping a few minutes before the show that this data is hot off the presses. Like, nobody's seen it probably not even a lot of my colleagues at question pro oh and by the way i'm, I'm president of workforce at question pro <laughs> probably an important tidbit for for our conversation here um so the, the company that i work for question pro my role is to run the employee experience survey platform and what we do there is we've, we've created a survey technology um and al mentioned empathy at scale so our philosophy is to help organizations have the absolute best connection with their employees. So it's not only about, you know, correlations, regressions, Laker type scales, but it's about how do you ask the question to your employees for them to really feel seen, to feel heard, to feel like you care about them, that their advice, their input is going to have an impact on the organization. Um, and then how do we take all of that data and bring it to life in analytics that are simple and powerful, um, that tell this beautiful story. And so we actually recently also launched a positive people practice where we work with organizations to help them craft the best questions for what's most relevant in their companies, what's mo most impactful, et cetera. So that's my world that you can tell I, I just absolutely love, but it's only a part of Question Pro. This other part that I'm like, every time I talk to Al, I'm like a kid in a candy store, is that we have a whole other market research segment of our organization. And that's what I'm here to talk about today, a research study that literally we just closed down data collection like a week ago um, and, and did some you know fast data analysis and insights. And so through um, this other part of our company, we have access to workers all around the world. And we're able to go out and ask them in real time, how are they feeling? What's important to them? And actually, um, this study was initiated for a couple of different reasons. One is that we also, in parallel, just completed our start of the year internal survey, a question pro. And we asked a lot of questions again around well-being. We learned a lot from last year and Al, like you'll see this like about capacity and talking about goal setting and are people clear on their goals and how do they feel like they can handle their work? Is it too much? Is, is, it, is it enough? Um, we talk, we ask a lot about diversity and inclusion, how you relate to your employees. 
But then also a big section that I'll, I'll share today is a different perception of managers and individual contributors and how they experience the organization. And in the work that I've done with in culture for a long time, this is not something that's really shocking in data or something brand new. A lot of times, the different levels of organization, people's experience tend to be different based on, on their level. But why is it so important to talk about it? Is that usually managers, VPs, executives are the ones that tend to have more of a change in the organization. And if you're making a change based on your experience and your intuition alone, data shows that you can really go down that you know, wrong path even with the best intentions. So in the focus, you and I have, you know, Al have talked a lot about the importance of leadership, the role that they play, the incredible, incredible impact that they can always have, but especially as we look ahead and reshape the world of work, I'll highlight um, some of those data points. And then going back to my, I've lived here and here and here, is that um, we work, our, our clients are global, Question Pro is a global organization. And so this particular study, we got data from the US, from UK, and from Germany. And you'll see that in some cases, the comparisons, not for all data, because it will be here for like 10 hours, I think, if, if we did analysis of every single question and, and all the cross tabs and, and different analytics. Um, but we want to see what was going on in different markets. So the topic of our conversation today is really what's important for you to look at as an organization. Um, I'm not a huge fan of benchmarks, and I've talked about this before in you know, benchmarks in a traditional sense where we do a culture survey and then we say, is this better than that? How's everybody else doing? My recommendation is always, well, is this what you want your organization to be? How high are you setting the bar for the performance of your own organization and focus on that? However, I do understand the chaos that's been in the world of work, especially in the past couple of years, and how quickly it's changed. And so I've bought onto, you know, the idea of, well, let's take a pulse and let's see how people are doing. Because that, to me, again, I think it's critical that if something scores a little bit lower externally and both internally in our organization, it should never give us an excuse not to place focus on it. But it might give us some perspective to know how big of an impact is this going to have for me for retention, for talent acquisition, how urgent do I need to be about this? Um, so that's a little bit about me and a little bit of what we're going to talk about today. Now, for those of you listening to me, I told Al, again, as I mentioned at the beginning, we just finished the study. I was literally like still crunching days. Doing things until midnight last night. So please, 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 if you see any self-mistake or anything, don't hold against me. I was so excited to share these insights that I just couldn't help myself. Like I kept adding moving video. Ah, what's the best story here? What is the best insight? So um my hope for our time today is that it's gonna give people some interesting things to think about, some interesting things to, you know, take a step back and say, do I know how this is playing out in my own organization? Um and then for us to discuss, like, what do we do with this kind of information? Like, what are the good actions to take? What else do we need to know? What are some of the aha moments, et cetera? So <laughs> that's me, and that's our little preview of our time today. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, there's so much there that I'm looking forward to. So I'm going to get out of the way and let you jump in. <laughs> 
<laughs> Sounds good. And I, I um, will start to go through the slides, but Al, like you and I can go back and forth, debate. I probably, I don't even know if we'll get through all the data. We'll see how quickly we go. But again, I just thought like, <gasps> like I had so many moments where I was like, wow, this is so impactful and this is so different. So I couldn't help myself and we can share the presentation with everyone and then just in case we don't get through everything. But with that, let's kick it off. Um, this is my homemade word cloud. It is not something that, <laughs> that I did with a fancy analysis, but it's just um, the, the marketing side of me. And what are some of the key concepts? What are some of the key things that we're seeing organizations really ask about today, worry about today, think about today, want to impact today? So these are just different concepts that are going to be sprinkled through the data. And hold on to your seat. you got a lot of pie graphs and bar charts <laughs> ahead of you. So the first area, um, again, that we talked about so much last year is burnout. And how are people feeling? How are they, you know, getting through the chaos? Is it what is their well-being like? And and one of my favorite topics and something that was really eye-opening that I believe I talked with Al about first, and, and he drew my attention to it, and I saw it all over the place in literature after, is this idea of capacity. And so a lot of organizations were doing this, you know, really amazing things like giving people a day off, shortening the work day, maybe adding like a week off even, um, adding mindfulness classes, et cetera, which is brilliant and is absolutely the right thing to do. But what we saw in research is that actually, while all of those things are phenomenal, they don't get at the root cause of what's causing burnout. What does is capacity. And a person feeling like, do I have the ability to get the work done that I need to get done? Now, in, in our survey, we had a lot of more additional questions like, do you feel like you can unplug when you want? Do you feel like you can take time off? The couple of things that I wanted to highlight now in the good news. So this is um, something that being an organizational psychologist, after I finished my studies, my poor little heart was so broken when I, when, when I went into the real world and I found out that not everybody has specific performance goals or goals set and they thought, what do you mean? That's like organizational psychology one-on-one. Of course, everybody has that. Well, it turned out that wasn't really the case. But the nice thing that we found in our data is that many employees said that they are clear about their specific goals and work objectives. Of course, there's still a little bit of improvement to be made, but you know, 76% is not... It's not that bad for people to say there's clarity and we saw that across markets. So, you know, good news, we know what we're aiming towards. It's not like we wake up and I'm like, I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. Now, the data changes a little bit for the people who say that their workload is manageable. And to me, you'll see a theme throughout a lot of these slides. Um, the neutral a lot of times is really big. And neutral, if you've ever studied or know like the net promoter score and the people who promote a, you know, a product or an organization, those are the people that can really be influenced one way or another. And sometimes in data, we're like, ah, oh, neutral, it's cool. You know, let's look at the strongly agrees and strongly disagrees or the agrees and disagrees in general. Um, but they are an important group to look at. So going back to the clarity of goals and even just those who strongly and agree and strongly and disagree, the clarity of goals was at 76%, but people saying that it's manageable is at 63%. So it's like, I know what I need to do, but I can't do it. That's kind of like, I don't know what's worse. Is it worse that you don't know and you're not achieving it or that you actually do know and you feel the stress of, of not being able to get there? And we'll see in, in some of the 
data coming up in the next slides, um, some of the reasoning behind it and those like manager and individual contributor differences. But I think that this is a really huge one. And I think that for organizations, when you're thinking about how do I manage my workforce? And earlier today, I had a conversation with Vivek around like, he's really focused on the four day, you know, work week and do we do it? And Vivek, by the way, is the CEO of Question Pro and my, my leader. Um, and so I was saying, well, what does that look like? Like, we need to be clear with people. Is it like four days a week, eight hours a day? Is it four days a week, like 10 plus -ish hours a day? Which days of the week is it? Like, um, how do we actually bring that to life? Because what I had very much in the back of my mind is if we can give the flexibility to work when people can, where it's more suitable for their life, I think that's great. But let's make sure the expectations of what we are, you know, want people to produce and how much we're expecting them to work is aligned because otherwise if you're telling somebody i'm giving you this great gift of flexibility but my expectations are still that you do more than you feel like you're capable of it's not necessarily going to help so i think um al i was very much thinking about you when i was looking at this data thinking like wow this is you know the capacity and those conversations are are really important for people to have and i'll i'll go through a few more slides and then we can stop and, and have a discussion because there there is just so much so um, some more information I wanted to share. So the, the great tidal waves of the job market, I try to you know, make a big title. And this is one um, we talked a little bit about from our last study that we did with Dan and Patrick from Radical about, you know, people, are people satisfied with their job? What are they looking to do you know, next? Are they going to make a change? So many people already made changes. So whether we've all heard about the great resignation by like the term that it was coined or we're looking in our organizations and saying, where's everybody going? Like, why is my turnover so high? I think the vast majority of organizations over the last several months has experienced that large pressure in more, more people leaving. Now, this data, again, I'm saying that for like the 10th time is like two weeks old. And so again, in January of 2022, we asked people how satisfied they're with their career. And this is across the different markets. And there was not much difference in, in the markets is that only 55% were satisfied with their career. And we thought, but so many people made a change already. How is this possible? Now, this data coupled with the data from our previous study that says that 58% of workers said they're absolutely ready to to make further changes. So 89% of our of the people in our previous study, they said they already made a change. However, 58% of people said, I'm not done yet. Either I haven't made that change or I've started, but it's gonna keep going. The reason why this is like, I, I wanna shout this off the rooftops is that the good thing is that a lot of organizations that we're talking with, that were a part of this chaos over the last two years and were not able to do the work they wanted to do in their organizations when it comes to culture are starting to return to it. However, I'm still seeing a lot more examples of organizations where they're not making it a priority that I'm personally comfortable with. And so what I want to do with some of this data is say, please, you know, look at it, take action now, because it's it's one of those things like, you know, when we talk about health, there's a quote that, you know, says something like, if you don't take care of your health, you're going to eventually have to take care of your illness. So choose what you take care of. For organizations that have been lucky enough to not feel this huge impact of change, I would say don't wait much longer. 
because everything that we're seeing in the data indicates that these changes are going to continue to come. And so we don't want to be caught as an organization, even a really good one to say, wow, you know, I feel so foolish because I do feel like I had such an incredible forewarning that I should take action and I never did. Um, so with the data, I would say like, we should definitely make sure we don't have those regrets. And then I'll talk about a couple more data points and then I'll stop because I'm looking at the time and I know I'm just throwing a lot out there. Um, this is something that I've noticed as a theme over the last several years of doing research is for people not seeing an opportunity to advance their career at their current company. And, and this comes in many forms. Like I think for for some organizations, depending on your size, depending on if a person is looking to make um, upward movements, there's only so many positions maybe in senior management levels. At some point, your organizations are structured in such a way where you say, you know, it's been so amazing to have you here, but for what you're looking for and, you know, next in your career, we can't offer that. However, what we see is that much more often what happens is that people leave because they're not aware of these other opportunities. They're just, they don't know what else is happening in the organization. They don't know what benefits they could have from a lateral, lateral move, but they also don't know what other opportunities are maybe in their team. What could they learn about even opportunities to grow? Even, you know, how many of times have we maybe had a thought when somebody on our team is leaving, like, I wish I would have known, I could have maybe created a position for them. They're so valuable to me that if I would have known how important this is, I would have, you know, done something and now they're out the door and it's done. like most of the times it's done. Most of the times at that point, even if you try to create a role, it's not enough time. If you're trying to, you know, find more money, somebody already got more money somewhere else. And so this is where I think both survey data, because here you can see how big of an organizational problem is this. And then do I have particular concerns in specific de departments? You can troubleshoot that with data a lot easier because you could say like, wow, it seems like that in our sales organization, we have this pretty well defined and people seem happy with the development opportunities and advancement opportunities, but in our engineering team, it's not quite as clear. So should we have, you know, make sure that we have monthly meetings and we discuss things like that. And do we make sure, ah, one thing that I was thinking about this morning is a lot of organizations have an intranet. And a lot of times still, not always, but a lot, like we expect people to proactively go into, you know, into intranet or into a technology and get information. But if you think about how we live as consumers, which is impacting us like, you know, every moment of our lives, nobody's waiting for us to find them anymore. As soon as, you know, they know we have a pulse and are looking for something that's in the realm of what they do. It's like, you know, you get advertisements, you get emails, you maybe get text messages, like however billboard, like everyone's trying to get to us, whether it's a very personalized way in our devices or whether it's around us, they're not waiting for that chance for us to seek out the information. And I think that organizations, especially in such a tight labor market, could really um, take a page out of, out of that book and think about how can we more proactively, again, whether it's through technology, whether it's through team meetings, whether it's through encouraging managers to have those conversations and giving people goals. Hey, once a quarter, make sure you have a meeting with your team to talk about what is it that they want and what is it that they're looking for their, you know, their advancement. I think there's a lot of different ways to impact this information, but I've been seeing it and I'm not seeing it get any better over the years. And I think today, again, with how much movement people are going through, it's becoming more and more critical. 
So in other words, this is like my marketer hat, my like, let's get urgent about this. We got to fix this. And I was talking about neutral before. They're like, neutral is not good. It, it, it could probably be like a lot bigger risk um, than, than, you know, the greed, even though they're just one point away in the scale, is that if you look at when, when you ask people how satisfied with their career, is that if you take the, you know, I'm not and I'm extremely not and, you know, the neutrals, 45% of people are not satisfied with where they are in their career. And this is like global benchmarking data. What's going on in your organization? If you think about, again, all those neutrals and you're like, oh, but, you know, we have this many agrees and we only have this many disagrees. Well, what do you think about the neutral getting a phone call from a headhunter or recruiter and being pitched another offer and being made feel so valuable because that's the person's job. They, their role is to lure them in and all of a sudden they're like, wow, really going to be loved in this other organization it's a lot easier to lure somebody away from an organization that answers neutral and how satisfied they are with their career than ones who are satisfied um, and then in comparison like 53 percent of people said they don't see a path for them to advance in their current organization so we'll talk about paying a little bit but if you think about ah i'm gonna get a few thousand dollars more or i'm going to get a better job title i'm gonna get a little more responsibility if I haven't seen that in my current organization and I have a reason to believe that it's not an option, I'm a lot more likely to have that conversation. And again, this has been pretty consistent across geographies that we're not seeing like huge differences that we're seeing that this is a, a pretty general problem um, across the different countries. Al, I'm gonna pause right here. <laughs> I would love to hear any of your input, any of your thoughts, anything that like maybe really jumped out at you. I have a number of more slides, but I would love <laughs> the people to hear somebody's voice other than mine. Well, first off, I, I want to celebrate your work because when we talk uh, about uh, mindset and the uh, position leaders are taking right now is that they're influenced by articles are influenced by their experience. And yeah, I, I believe there's an appetite to learn, but it's kind of like, okay, I've, I've heard that, I've heard that, and we have this policy in place and that's you know gonna be in place for the foreseeable future and, and, and we're good. Mm -hmm. The fact is what you're highlighting is that we constantly have to stay in touch with our workforce because their feelings about the future, about their opportunity within that organization shift workloads shift so to create this continuous dialogue this continuous what's often called employee listening is arguably essential what do you think about that need to stay in constant communication with your workforce no well, i mean it's absolutely crucial because if you think about like when i'm on linkedin i don't know about you but i've never seen more like people celebrating new jobs like there's, we see it in the data and then you see it in real life, like, right, matches up, shocking. But I think sometimes that's more impactful because again, you might see some information you say, ah, oh, but that's not, you know, how my people feel. That's not how my significant other feels, but that's everybody else. And we, I think live, you know, and, and we're showing it across cultures in some ways too, that people are not necessarily like rushing out to proactively share things. And you and I have talked about like, building cultures when that's the norm but we're still not there and there is this great change and there is this great shift and it's been happening and one of the slides i've shared before is you know 
73% of people said the pandemic gave them the courage to take action on what they wanted. If you are a leader in an organization, what does that change for your people? Do you know? And how can you play an active role in that? And I think, I think, I hope that this year is going to be a little bit different than the last two. And the more opportunities are going to emerge for people, what are they going to look for? Like, I think if you're not having that conversation and you're making assumptions, it's going to be really, really difficult to make an impact on your organization. Like it doesn't, the, the, the literal cost and money and time to get this information is minimal in our lives right now. Like it is literally like almost like just like having a conversation. So I think sometimes, um, you know, in life and I've been guilty of this, maybe more in my personal, sometimes like the professional is like kind of put your, your paper bag over your head and you're like, I don't want to know, I don't want to know, I don't want to know. You know, it's like, maybe it's better. Like, But the thing is, is that that's not true. That's never true. It's a cop-out. That's never the right answer. Um, and I think for us, like, the thing, the cool thing that I've seen in data is that they're really like interesting and innovative things organizations could be doing with their people and ways that they can empower them and help them blend their personal, professional lives. Like, like yesterday, I had a team call, right? And I have people like I'm in Argentina, I have people in Mexico, I have people in the US, we have people in India, I'm probably forgetting some countries. We're not that big of a team. And the happiness for those individuals that they're together, that they get to know each other. And we spend like, it was an hour meeting. It's a monthly meeting. Usually we talk through numbers and goals and what everybody's doing. Because we had so many new people join, we spent 30 minutes just talking about ourselves. And it was beautiful. And people really celebrated that. And when I have side conversations with my team, they say, this has really enriched me as a person to be exposed to so many people with different backgrounds. Like I didn't come to Question Pro for that, but what an incredible outcome of my role. And so that's why, like I'm saying, having these conversations with people, I think oftentimes we're scared that the changes we're gonna have to make are gonna be so expensive and so monumental, but it's not necessarily true. So I think that's where when you ask, when you do this continuous conversation, listening, empathy at scale, it's the best way to get ideas on how to like have the most profound impact on your people. I mean, there's so much to discuss here and decide on, because it's one thing to have an intellectual conversation about this and nod <laughs> our heads and say, yes, yes, yes. It's another thing to do things about it. And that's one thing that I celebrate about you is that you are providing guidance and ideas on what to actually do and then showing whether or not that's actually delivering the desired impact and yeah. if not you know what can be done because when we talk about mm. the future of work and you drew the example of Vivica and you all exploring a four-hour work week you know what does that look like you know is that something yeah. that's going to be a competitive advantage is that going to promote well-being and engagement and mm. productivity uh, if so great you know you're going to learn whether or not that's in fact the case and adjust accordingly so in other words the work's never done. There's no finish line, correct yeah. me if I'm wrong. This is continuous no. learning, continuous no improvement. Way. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. I, I was reading something more like even related to personal development. I think it was Adam Grant, like one of his quotes, and, and the idea is that you don't it, it's when you think about development, you don't want to give yourself a finite goal because it's an infinite game, right? Like you always mm -hmm. want to continue to improve and continue to develop and and you never get there and you change and you learn more things and the world around you changes. 
So it's not, it's never getting there. It's always understanding better. Like what are the circumstances? What's happening around me? And then also like in some ways, what am I in the best position to influence? And is that important enough? And do I focus there? Or if there are areas that I can influence even more effectively, but I'm not equipped for it, how do I become equipped for it? How do I get myself in a better place? So yeah, there's there's a lot. Let me, I'll flip through a few more slides. You flag me when you want me to <laughs> go right, or do let's me. Do it. All right. Let's All right. <laughs> just a few more, just because there's so much good data. And it only lives here. Um, okay, so now this is the difference. Like the truth is an eye of the beholder, like how managers and individual contributors contributors experience the workplace. So it's a little bit of what I was talking about at the beginning where, wow, like we got such stark differences. Like the country, there were some differences and I'll, I'll highlight that in, um, in some of our next conversations, but generally countries were on par with where their pain points were and um, they were pretty related. When it came to managers and individual contributors, it's like they were living in different worlds. Um, why, how, why do I say that? So when we look at the overall career satisfaction, so the bar chart or the pie chart is just a reminder of data that I shared before, like how satisfied are people this is overall. Um, and overall, just you know, over 50% of people are satisfied um, with, with their careers. But when you look at the, the split between a manager and individual contributor, 61% of managers are saying they're satisfied with where they are in their careers compared to 52% of individual contributors, like it's almost a 10 percentage point difference. That's really significant for how, you know, when people are looking to leave, like if I'm managing a team, I feel challenged. I feel like I have opportunity to grow. And then I look at my team has turnover. Why is that happening? This is one of the pieces of data that I think is really important to keep in mind. Ah, <laughs> oh, this was a tough one. Um, that only about half of workers say their managers care about their career progress. Ah, like, we've talked about empathy. We've talked about compassion. We talked about this like deeper human connection and career progress is, you know, something that people are not satisfied with, something that's important to them. Yet clearly based on this data, those conversations are not happening enough. And not, not only is that gonna leave a positive impact on a person, but imagine like what we were just talking about a little bit ago, how much data gathering you could have if you just asked your people about their satisfaction with where they are and what they want to do, like how huge of an impact that would have on retention. This is almost that like paper bag moment of like, ah, I don't want to know because what am I going to do? Um, or <laughs> also look at this difference, 16% point difference in, um, how much managers say their leaders care about their career progress versus individual contributors. So the the people, when you're getting higher up in the organization and you're managing teams, this data shows that you tend to get more coaching, you tend to get more attention, but it doesn't seem to trickle down. So just because like a manager is having a better experience, it doesn't automatically make them accountable to actually show the care and the support for their own teams so this is where it's like that debate that i feel like i've, I've had for a really long time when, when it comes to performance goals then most of us have them based on you know projects delivered or new deals closed revenue earned like it's it's a very business focused 
but it's very rare that organizations actually put goals for their managers and their leaders to develop their people to create a great culture. Like I I believe because I want to, that it's because it's assumed. And you know, an organization would just believe that the leaders would care about this and do something about it. Um, but what's happening a lot of times too is that because it's not explicitly said, people are not prioritizing. And when you think about it, I have a packed schedule and I need to cancel something. I'll cancel one-on-one with my team or I'll override that. When I have a meeting with my team member, we're going to talk about the agenda and what projects they have, not necessarily about their career progress. And so that experience is just hugely different. Um, This was a really interesting one. So this, my manager and I talk about my goals and objectives before they're set. I believe directly relates to the conversation we had earlier about how manageable do you think your goals are? So if I'm somebody's leader and I come in and I say, I expect you to deliver X, Y, and Z in this quarter, but I never asked them like, well, what do you think? Do you think that's manageable? Do you think that's attainable? Do you think there's something else that it's important to you? If like, we're looking to get towards this goal, these are the three things that I think will get you there. What else is there? Like, I think that there's such power in having that discussion because it will get people more excited. It will, at that point, give input on, are these goals actually manageable? Should we change them? And also one thing that I'm a huge fan of, and it, it is easier when you can quantify the measures, but even regardless, talking about it is checking in over time on the progress. Because many of us, like we hear about it, we read about it, dream big, set really big goals. Because if you don't, you're necessarily limiting yourself. And I'm a huge proponent of that. But what's going to happen is if you agree to that in the work setting and you realize that, wait a minute, these strategies that I'm trying are not going to get me to where I need it to be. Can I renegotiate that with my leader? Can I get more feedback from my leader? Like, can we reset this? Because I was ambitious. I wanted to dream big, but like, oh man, like now it kind of stinks that I'm getting penalized for it. Can we approach it differently? And the answer nearly always, if not always, should be yes. Yes, we can. Let's, why is this happening? Is it because the energy is being being put in the wrong place? Can we change the strategy? Could the effort maybe be larger? It's not always like, oh, it's not the person's fault. They're doing everything they can. Sometimes maybe there is more energy. There is a better way to work smarter, not harder, et cetera. And then the, the so I can talk a lot about that, but those are just some of the takeaways. And then also around the manager communicating, you know, feedback clearly. Clearly, there's it seems like the higher up you get in most organizations, when you have managerial um, responsibility, your leader communicates feedback more clearly. Now, there's not a perfect correlation between age and level in the organization. There's some, and so I, I do think a lot of times is that you know the individuals, the higher up you get in the organization, maybe you've had more experience with feedback, you know how meaningful it is, so you can more effectively give it to your team. But maybe some of the younger managers, less younger, meaning less experienced, haven't learned it as well. But I think that these are like all such easy, phenomenal opportunities um, for improvement. So, Al, I don't know if you've seen Encanto. I know your kids are a little older than mine. Um, this is from now. We don't talk about Bruno. I've heard the song like <laughs> a million <laughs> times. So that's that's why that's in there for anybody who doesn't know Encanto. It's it's from the movie. Um, but it was it was a joke to parallel into a more serious topic of pay we don't talk about pay like when we asked people if they have a constructive conversation with their manager about pay fewer than half of people said they do fewer than half 
for pay. That is one of the most important aspects in somebody's job. We don't feel comfortable talking to our manager about that. And and the problem is, is that it is really important. And now last time you and I talked with Anne, we said, listen, it is not mutually exclusive with how passionate you about you are about your career and wanting to make a difference. You can absolutely have both. Money is a, has a big impact on people's livelihood, ability to have a comfortable home, to be able to travel and experience the world, et cetera. So I don't, I, I want to make sure that it's clear. The money is not like the devil here, like a four letter word, but we're still stigmatizing it so much. Not even, I won't talk about pay transparency and do you know how much your colleagues make or all that it's a whole other topic. But the fact that fewer than half the people actually feel comfortable talking about pay with the one person they can make a difference is really tough because that to me is another another key reason why somebody would exit that could be a really good, easy reason for somebody to stay. Do you want to? No, 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 no. I'm just, I'm just coming back in and listening. I, I know we're going to wrap here in a couple minutes, but I know you also have a couple more slides. Cause I think just two. No, 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 <laughs> Literally. But I wanted to jump in there real quick because, you know, pay equity is something that's top of mind. And we've talked about it a lot on this show recently. And I just want to, number one, call that out and celebrate that you, you're highlighting the, the need to have those conversations, which for many are uncomfortable. But at the same time, you know, who initiates those conversations? Uh, the individual employee, it's, it's hard for them. Yeah. So is there a responsibility on the employer, on the manager, on those who are making uh, compensation decisions? to initiate these conversations in constructive ways, or is it always cost minimization? Yeah. You know, so you know, that's a topic for you know, another time, but I just wanted to you know, call that out and just celebrate that you're you know, looking into that. <laughs> thank you, thank you. And yeah, I have so many thoughts on that, but like you said, well, I'll share a couple more slides. We'll bring that up next time because we got a lot of work to do when it comes to pay and fairness and transparency. and. Um, this one really shocked me, I have to say. So <laughs> you can see that in my title. So we asked um, people if their company creates a culture of trust and openness. And just over half of people do. Like to me, this is data that I actually looked at and I wanted to cry. And I thought this, like if you look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs, like to me, trust should be basic. How do people not trust their colleagues? How do people not trust their organization, the decision-making like this? I don't have many more answers about this aside from like, if you're here, part of our conversation, please check in on this in your organization. Because to me, it was um, really like, it, it just made me sad. Because I thought this was one of those checkboxes, like you need to have trust, it gets, you, you need to have open communication. And it really shocked me how low that was. Um, the other one was like almost the same result, but maybe a little bit better, like it's all in perspective, is the autonomy. So in a lot of the literature and the research that you know, I've seen around how do we look at the future of work? Is it, you know, work from anywhere? Is it flexible work schedules? Is it hybrid? Like, how do we solve this? A lot of research point into like the basic thing that you have to figure out is how do you give your people autonomy? How do you trust in them to get their objectives done, to get their work done? And then if you can create a culture of that, and if you can create that kind of relationship, 
then the flexibility and other a lot of other things are going to follow. So I couldn't believe actually that I think autonomy could be a lot higher. Um, but I couldn't believe it was on the same level as trust. And I was actually somewhat like neutral is really huge. And I think in this case, I'm going to be that optimist, um, rainbows and unicorns, and think that I think if organizations do a few right things and that they allow people, they set clear goals, manageable goals, and give people some autonomy, test it out, that they're going to reap really great benefits of it. So this is where like the 50% and the big neutral like didn't stop me in my tracks. I thought, okay, like maybe this is something that we can really work with when it comes to how do we redefine the world of work, how to really let people live their most fulfilling lives. Um, those were like the the couple of points. So <laughs> this is this is my wrap up because I I didn't I'm not I don't have a slide of like all the takeaways because I think there's just so much in there as there's different interpretations. Um, for the sake of time, I'll just skip to this slide so everybody has my contact information in case they want to get the data, in case they want to get in touch with us, and in case they want to check out a little bit more. Um, what we do, I'll just leave here. But Al, those are my slides. <laughs> That's the data I had ready ready for us to share for today. Well, thank you for sharing. I mean, there's so much that I'd like to explore with you over the coming days and, and weeks. And I'm sure there are others who would like to do the same. So you just shared, you know, how people can get in touch with you. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, you're obviously active on LinkedIn and elsewhere. Are you going to be generating a report with this data? Or are you going to be able to share? Slides? <laughs> Yes, we'll, um, I'll share the slides with you so you can share it with your community. And then we will do the report. Um, I don't, I need to figure out the timeline for it, but it is as soon as it's ready, well, I'll make sure that you know, we'll push it out. But again, this was like hot off the presses. You see it here <laughs> first. I know I was even, I was telling you, I'm like, I can't believe I'm going to be talking with Ellen. I don't even have like a place to like send people to the report because it doesn't exist yet. <laughs> well. Well, we'll let everyone know. And but you know, again, what you're doing is not only super important, but I want to highlight the fact that you're talking about appropriate action in a sustainable way. Um, so we talk about speed, uh, scale, and sustainability. You know, so it's not just a one-off. You know, you can't just yeah. you know do a report and deliver it six months later, or a research project and deliver. You know later and you have to do it at scale because you're drawing distinctions between the manager experience and individual contributors which are, you know these dimensions need to be considered and, and looked at particularly when we're competing so hard from an organizational perspective for this scarce talent pool you know so you know i celebrate what you're doing and i look forward to having you back to discuss it further so <laughs> thank you again appreciate oh, it it's so. lovely to see you thank you for having me it's always such an inc incredible pleasure well, likewise. All right. You be well. Talk to you soon. You Bye. too. <laughs> Take care.